At first glance, it's a story about fishing. And what could be better than fishing? Peter and friends get skunked at the Sea of Galilee, but even when you don't catch anything, fishing is still fishing. They were cleaning their nets on the shore when suddenly a crowd came along, thronging and pressing all around a young preacher who was doing his best not to get pushed into the lake. While Peter and the other fishermen are listening to the preacher as best they can, he suddenly jumps into Peter's boat and asks him to put out a little bit from the land. That was the moment when Jesus invented the pulpit. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. And to this day, many pulpits are shaped like the prow of a boat, or some have boating imagery on them. Luke tells us that Jesus was not merely speaking about God. He was speaking for God and as God, the word of God coming from his lips. When Jesus had finished his sermon, he turned to Peter and said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. It was a ridiculous request by someone who seemed to not understand how fishing works. On the Sea of Galilee, you fish at night. That's when the fish are active. Peter and his friends had fished all night and caught nothing. So he lets Jesus know, politely, that this isn't a great idea. Master, he says, we fished all night and caught nothing. But, he also says, at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, apparently Jesus didn't belong to Peter because no sooner than the nets had dropped into the water, they were bursting with fish. Can you have too much of a good thing? Peter and his friends almost did. Their nets went from empty to full to breaking. They signaled for the other boat to come help them. And the pattern repeats. Their boats were empty, then full, then sinking. There were so many fish that the boats began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, there was no doubt in his mind that he was in the presence of the one who possessed divine power. He fell at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But Jesus would not depart. He did not come in order to condemn Peter or any other sinners. He came that sinners might have God's forgiveness, that sinners might have life, so with the same almighty word that caused the fish to fill the nets, Jesus spoke his absolution to Peter. Do not be afraid, he said. The full meaning of these words would only be grasped later. Do not be afraid, Peter, for I have come to take all your sins from you. I, who know no sin, will become your sin, and you will be given my righteousness. On my cross, I will put your sins away forever, from your darkest secrets to the little white lies, from the depths of depravity hidden in your heart to every obvious infraction of God's holy law. I will take your sins as my own so that you might have my righteousness as your own. For my sake, God reckons you righteous and declares you clean. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. 
Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. Do not fear, Peter. I have come only for sinners, and I will cover your sins with my own holy blood. But Jesus did not stop there. He not only absolved Peter, saying, do not fear, he also called Peter and said, from now on, you will be catching men. And with those words, the entire account takes on a new meaning. This was no mere story about fishing, nor was it simply an account of yet another miracle Jesus had done. The whole series of events was a kind of living parable. At least that's how Luther and some of the other church fathers saw it. This miracle was in fact about the church and how the church comes into being through the word of Jesus. The sea is the world, chaotic, evil, deadly. The fish are the people. The net is the preaching of the gospel. And the boat is the church. The boat doesn't become full because of the labors and efforts of men. The boat becomes full because of the word of Jesus. Elsewhere, Jesus preaches that the gospel is like a great net that gathers fish of every kind. Only on shore are the good separated from the bad. In other words, the fisherman doesn't actually know how successfully he was until he gets to shore, until the Lord sorts out the fish and tosses the bad. Only then does he know how many good fish he has caught. That's the great problem with judging the church with our eyes and with our fallen reason. Many people think that where there are great crowds, God must really be working. When people find out that I'm a pastor, they almost always ask me, how big is your church? I can't tell you how many looks of pity I've gotten when I tell them. <laughs> well, it's not my church anyway, I say. It's Christ. Take it up with him. Of course, if the goal were simply to fill the boat, so to speak, if the goal were simply to fill the pews, well, we could do a much better job, couldn't we? We'd start by taking down the crucifix. Christ, and especially Christ crucified, is a downer at best and an offense at worst. Of course, my preaching would have to change also. I'd have to preach a lot less about Christ and a lot more about you living your best life now and becoming a better you, because that's what most people are into, after all, themselves. Next, we get rid of confession and absolution. What successful, upbeat American wants to confess the kind of thing that Peter confessed in the boat? I am a sinful man, O Lord. And what I'm perfectly fine, thank you very much, American wants to receive an absolution from a preacher in the way of John 20 when he thinks, he can just go directly to God himself, no preaching required. Now, if we want to really fill this boat, we need a lot less about sin and forgiveness, a lot less about death and eternal life, a lot less Jesus, and a lot more entertainment. The pastor needs to shed these old vestments that he wears, 
that uniform that marks him as one put into an office, the office that is in the stead and by the command of Christ, get that man some clothing that frees him to be an entertainer. We need jokes from the pulpit, lots of jokes, and personal stories that take your attention away from the biblical text, because most people find that dry and boring anyway. If we really want to fish for men and fill our boat, we need to get rid of doctrine also, of course, because doctrine divides. How on earth are we ever going to have a big church if we expect everyone to be in doctrinal agreement and in the biblical unity of faith of which the scriptures speak? What else might we do to fill the boat? Replace the altar with a drum set. Can't go wrong there. Replace the baptismal font with smoke machines and lasers. My kids would like that. Tell people that baptism is nothing but a symbol. Their act of obedience. They can be baptized whenever they want or not at all. The customer, I, I mean the churchgoer, is always right. Tell people that Holy Communion is nothing but sim a symbol. Even though Jesus says is, tell them he means symbolizes. Because what Jesus actually has to say is sure to turn people away. And since nothing's really happening in communion anyway, let's just skip it. Shouldn't we be doing whatever it takes to fill our boat with fish? Two things. One, Peter and the other fishermen don't catch a single fish that day by doing what human reason tells them they ought to be doing. But when they do what Jesus tells them, the boats are full. Two, full boats don't mean anything in and of themselves. Only on shore do we see how many good fish are kept and how many bad fish are thrown away when the Lord does his sorting. Which means very plainly that a small church of 50 Christians who receive Jesus in word and sacrament, who are growing in knowledge of the Lord's word and being conformed into the image of God's Son, may, in fact, objectively, in reality, be greater than a megachurch with thousands of attendees, all of whom recast Jesus in an image of their own liking, who are daily losing their knowledge of God's word, and being conformed only into more successful versions of themselves. On the last day, we will know. So, in the meantime, let's let down our nets only at Jesus' word and fish the way that he would have us fish, with the net of his pure gospel, with the preaching of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, and by the right administration of his sacraments. So our Lord turned Peter and the other disciples into fishers of men. Our Lord Jesus himself being the greatest fisher of men the world has ever known. Being lifted up on the cross, he draws all men to himself. And yet, Jesus was not merely a fisher of men, at least according to the church fathers. Jesus was also fishing for something much larger and much more dangerous. 
The Leviathan shows up six times in the Old Testament. It is described as a great sea creature, a beast so powerful that none could ever catch him. God asks Job, Can you draw out the Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Elsewhere, the Leviathan is described in satanic terms. He rules the sea, the realm of chaos, evil, and death. He is so powerful and terrible beyond comprehension, he causes the sea to boil. He is like a great sea serpent or sea dragon. Even if you could hook him, he'd drag you in and swallow you up. There was only one fisherman who could catch the Leviathan. One of the great Cappadocian fathers, Gregory of Nyssa, puts it this way. The deity was hidden under the veil, so that as with ravenous fish, the hook of the deity might be gulped down with the bait of the flesh. In other words, picture the cross as a fish hook and Jesus as the bait. When the devil went to swallow him up and destroy him, the devil, the Leviathan, was hooked by the cross and caught by the divine Son of God. The perfect bait, God in the weakness of human flesh, dangling helpless from the cross. But in swallowing up the man, the great Leviathan was caught by God. At Galilee, called Gennesaret, the boats were filled with so many fish they began to sink. In heaven, there are so many saints, men, women, and children, who have been captured by the net of the gospel, they can't even be numbered. And the Leviathan, our old evil foe, has been hooked with the cross and is being drug out by our Lord, the greatest fisherman of all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please rise.